I'm thrilled to be here with you, and frankly, I don't mind saying uh, uh, your pastor referenced uh, his looking forward to this. I've looked forward to sharing this time with you. There's nothing quite as invigorating as being out in God's creation and focusing on God. And I'm thankful for the privilege to do that. My wife and I are honored to be here with you, and thank you for your kind accommodations and uh, the lovely facility that we're going to be in. If anybody's tent falls in in the night, just come knock on our door and we'll say, tough luck. (laughs) No, we won't. We'll try and be nice and uh, let you come aboard. And uh, I want to say a special word of thanks to uh, George for getting me settled in. Did a great... Well, I I do know, but uh, without you, I'd never known which one to even go into. I might have showed up in somebody's tent and I wasn't supposed to be there. And so when we arrived, uh, we... We have just completed our school year of activities, and so in the process of that, we chose to take our faculty this uh, yesterday to visit the Creation Museum in Cincinnati or Covington, actually Peters, is it Petersburg? Petersburg, Kentucky, and so, uh, and it was a wonderful occasion. If you've not been there, let me just encourage you, it's a great outing for your family at some point to enjoy. And it's a wonderful tool and ministry that's bringing affirmation. Uh, you know, they just celebrated this weekend their one-year anniversary and one-year anniversary of beginning, and they've had approaching a half million people there during the course of this time. And uh, we stayed in a motel last night in the area after the occasion of the event, and then drove in today from Cincinnati. But even the motel where we were staying, right at the desk, they said, "Oh, you're." I, I had on a an Appalachian Bible College uh, jacket at that point, and without even saying a word, the lady said, I'll bet you're here for the Creation Museum, aren't you? And I thought, what a great testimony. And then she went on to talk about how much it's been a great asset to their community, and, and I, I just pray that the Lord will protect that ministry because here's the real testimony of that place. How many of you have been there? So some of you have, and if I'm exaggerating, you'll be here long after I'm, so you can correct uh, anything I say. But the truth is, it's a testimony that's far more than just proving creation. It's a wonderful testimony of affirmation to the importance of the Word of God and all kinds of avenues of, of uh, reinforcement of God's Word. A great, great reminder in the midst of a world that tries to discourage and even you know, displace the Scriptures. And here's a wonderfully uh, well-placed uh, testimony to that, and so a uh, great, great privilege. But at any rate, we're glad to be here, be here. And I'm also glad to have an opportunity to speak about something that involves everybody. How many of you uh, are part of a family? Just raise your hand. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm really scared because we have some, you know, some needy hearts that need to be counseled. No, I, you know, a topic like family includes everybody. And I know that some might say, well, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm, my kids are all, no, no, family is life. And we're going to talk about family from that angle. It involves life. And so what a privilege to be a part of a family. Uh, when I arrived tonight and was directed to make contact with George Anderson, uh, he maybe didn't hear this, but I said, I'm not sure how we're related, probably back to Noah, but, uh, you know, somehow Andersons are a dime a dozen. And uh, his dime is probably worth more than my dime as far as family heritage. But uh, by the way, what family do you think has the longest family tree genealogically that you could trace, literally? Anybody want to try and guess? You want to guess? I'll be glad to hear your answer, sir. What, what family? can? Oh, good. I don't have to stand there. That's wonderful. Do you mind if I move this? Is this sacred? Okay. I just want to make sure that... 
I, I, you know, some places you'd be surprised. I recently was in a church. My wife's laughing because she knows she was there with me. And we were going to move the pulpit for an occasion in which our handbill choir was there. And we were told, don't move the pulpit. And we said, we'll be glad to play all around it. So we just played around the bells. And the bells played around the pulpit. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't taking some sacred thing and moving it. But where, what oldest family do you think we have? Is it your family? You think so? He thinks it's his family. No, the truth is, if you were to trace, what is the oldest family tree that you could trace? Do you think that, uh, that it's possible to... Now, I'm not denying that there might not be some places where you'd have some challenges connecting all of the limbs of the family tree. But what family tree has the longest provable, you know, traceable record of planting in, in the world? Abraham, right here it is. The family of Abraham. Now, a camp setting, you know, Father Abraham and many sons, many sons. No, I won't do that. Some, I just saw some people roll their eyes. I'm not going to sing that song tonight, so don't worry. But, you know, Abraham's family is probably the oldest of all the families. And, and what goes into the, the, the you know, concept of a family tree is really such that you know, he is the father of the Jewish lineage and, and we have Jewish heritage that is traceable and is capable of going you know, within distance of Father Abraham. Now, none of the rest of us, I, I'm Swedish through and through. My grandparents on both sides came from Sweden and I'm not trying to either boast that or deny that. I'm just giving you the facts, okay? But family tree on my side of the... You know, I'm a very recent plant to America. Only the you know, second generation within my family tree. And I'm sure that there's... I know that there are genealogical records beyond that back to Sweden. But the truth is, I can't trace my family tree very long before you run out of root. But Father Abraham's a long time there. And I think that's a great place to begin tonight uh, with this thought. Uh, you know, tonight as we got ready to eat, uh, the the provision that Pastor Billy made, and thank you, Pastor Billy, for that kind provision. I don't know where, oh, did he leave? He, oh, he's, oh, you're right there. I thought maybe you left already because you were done with me. He wasn't sure he was going to stay. But, you know, he made provision for the, for the military personnel. Where are all of our military personnel? Raise your hands. God bless you for serving our country. This is a very, very special time to do that. You didn't want to raise your hands. You thought I was going to pick on you, some of you. And I just wanted to honor you. That's all I wanted to do. Some of you then, you know, later, I'm not drafting you again. You've already done that once. But the truth is, thank God for our military. And then my wife and I were privileged to go afterwards. And as we're going through the food line, I'm following Steve right over here through the food line. And uh, he's, you know, filling his plate well. And we get, so he was the first one to sit down. So as guests, I sat down with him and had the privilege to sit there with him in the meal tonight. As we finished our meal, he said, I'm going to go back and see if I can get my dessert. Now, I thought to myself, he's not been through enough food lines like I have, because I've learned when you go through that food line the first time, if you don't get your dessert, by the time everybody else goes through, you won't get what you want. I'm confessing to selfishness in this moment, okay? But I like desserts. The fact is, I think we should start with desserts and then just finish the rest of the food. That's how much I like desserts. And so he goes back and comes back a little later, and he has some desserts on his plate, but then he said, as I'm about to take the last bite of a particular piece of dessert that was on my plate. He said, was that any good? <laughs> and I realized he didn't get any, so I offered him the last bite. He didn't take it. I said, I, you know, I think that this spoon's fairly clean. It's only been in my mouth three times. But, uh, but he said, no, I, I think not. But then he proceeded to tell me that, that he knew all about that dessert because Chloe made it. Is that right? He's given you credit. 
Now, Chloe, let me ask you. This is really embarrassing for you, but I don't intend it to be that way. Could you just real quickly tell us a, a, a few of the ingredients that you had to use to make that wonderful dessert, which incidentally, I, after offering it to your father, who rejected, he said, no, you can have it. I said, sure, I'll eat it, and I won't even feel ashamed. And I took it and threw it, you know, put the last bite in. And it was delicious. The dessert that she made, for those of you that didn't get to taste it, was a, well, why don't you tell us what ingredients were in it, some of the ingredients. Graham cracker crust, uh, very fresh, and it was very still crispy and tasty, okay? Graham cracker. Banana, banana what? Banana cream pudding. Did, how many of you had this kind of dessert tonight? Aha, so you're, you're hearing what she made, okay? Banana cream mixed with whipped cream. Now, it just gets a little sweeter as you go up, so. The cool whipped topping, so now just forget the bananas, just, just go straight for the sweet stuff, okay? Bananas and strawberries slice very delicately and place very tastefully on the top of this, just invitingly saying, eat me. And then I learned that Steve put the chocolate shavings on top. Is that correct, sir? Isn't that what you told me? And so he had the, you know, the, the, the finishing French touch, touch there, you know, that goes with the, the cuisine of excellence, okay? Now, if you're mad at me for taking that dessert, let me just tell you, if ever you go through a food line, take your dessert the first time you go through. Steve learned that the hard way, and I'm sorry. But having said that, those ingredients, in and of themselves, individually, most of those are pretty good by themselves. Now, some things, you ladies that fix some of those dishes tonight, there are probably some of the ingredients in those dishes that, if you had by themselves, wouldn't be very tasty. You all know what I'm talking about. You know, to take a teaspoon of salt and just eat that by itself, mmm, real good. No, not really. I mean, even if you like salt, to just put a teaspoon of salt in your mouth. But it might have taken a teaspoon of salt or some measure of salt in a particular dish you made tonight. Or any other ingredient. There, you know, there's some funny tasting stuff. I remember one time I thought it would be really neat when my mother was making a particular dessert and it took some vanilla as a part of it. And any of you who have cooked know where I'm going with this one. I loved the smell of vanilla, and it just sounded so good. And so while my mom had her back turned and was doing part of the other part, I tried to sneak a little taste of that vanilla real fast. When she turned around, she knew what I'd done. Because it was so... How many of you have ever tasted vanilla by itself? You know what I'm talking about. That's nasty stuff. But when it's put in with a whole bunch of other things, it's a wonderful addition to the flavoring of a dish. Now, tonight we want to talk about the makings of a family. What does it take to make a family? And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the father and the mother and the children or the, you know, the house you live in. I want to talk about what, really ta what it really takes to make a family. And I'm going to go back to the very longest living family, Abraham, and talk about those ingredients just like Chloe took ingredients and put those together and made a delicious dessert, can I tell you, these ingredients, four of them we're going to talk about tonight. Four ingredients that go into making a family. Genesis chapter 18, if you'd turn there, please, if you have your Bibles. If you didn't bring them, I certainly do not mean to put you on the spot, but we want to look at Genesis chapter 18 tonight. You may not have thought of Abraham as a great illustration of a family composer or cook, a making of a family. 
as we see it in Genesis chapter 18, and I'm only going to look at one verse with you tonight, because it really gives a great summary of the ingredients that go into the making of a family. If you don't have your Bible, listen as I read. If you do, follow along uh, in the, the text that's before you. This is God talking now. This is not Abraham. This is not self-describing you know, his accomplishment. This is God talking. He says, For I know him, referring to Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. That verse gives us Genesis 18.19. Thank you. Sorry about that. Let's read it one more time since I didn't give you the right place the first time. Genesis 18.19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Those words were given to Abraham, or about Abraham, after God had chosen him to be a special agent of his message and ministry, beginning in Genesis chapter 12. We know it as the Abrahamic covenant. And as that covenant was given to Abraham, God clearly defined for Abraham the task that he wanted him to do. And in light of that, we then find the description of some of the details of the family activities. But by the time we're coming to chapter 18, we find this description of Abraham in such a succinct way that this verse really becomes, I think, the charter of the makings. This is the recipe. This is the recipe. These four ingredients will make every family what they should be. And so tonight, I invite you to take these four ingredients and to blend them into your home, no matter where you are as a family member. A child, you know, a senior citizen, a grandparent, a parent, a single person who has an opportunity to influence the family of God and, and your life as a, as a member of the world. Every person is a part of a family. We said that tonight. So what, what are the makings? What, what, what really is the recipe? These four ingredients. Ingredient number one. Personal relationship. Personal relationship with God. Look at verse 19. For I know Him. Just that phrase. For I know Him. God is describing a personal relationship with Abraham here that is pretty special and intimate. I say this very tastefully in the context of this passage, but it's describing the depth of God's relationship with Abraham in language that's similar to the beauty of a physical relationship between a husband and a wife. I know him. God had that kind of an intimate connection with Abraham. Now hear me carefully. I'm the itinerant who's ignorant about you personally, in this moment especially. Because while I have had occasion to talk briefly with some of you, at length at the mealtime with Steve tonight, I do certainly know your pastor and his wife longer than anybody else here. I don't have any stories on either one of them, but I love the relationship or friendship. But the truth is, can I just tell you, for most of you, I have very little acquaintance. And so my, my thoughts are really designed to just remind all of us and that is this. Do you have a personal relationship with God? A family cannot be all God wants it to be unless you have a personal relationship with God. 
We call that salvation as the beginning of that relationship. Have you truly come to a point where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I have every reason to believe that in the context of this gathering and the purpose of this you know, occasion, it's such that the majority of you as adults have trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe the majority of you as children and young people have trusted Christ as Savior. But I don't know for sure that everyone has. And so may I just say a personal relationship with God, for I know him, God said of Abraham, starts with a personal relationship that's, that's described as salvation. Trusting the Lord Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, may I just tell you, you'll never have the opportunity to be the kind of family member, the kind of family participant, the kind of family ingredient that you need to be. But you know, a personal relationship with Christ is not only salvation, it's the ongoing relationship that you have with Him once you're saved. What kind of a relationship do you have with God since you've been saved? You see, the truth is, knowing God as Savior is the beginning point. But then knowing that relationship with Him as your Lord and Master is the ongoing point of a personal relationship with God. You see, just like in a family, the relationship of a husband and wife is unique to that relationship, and rightly so. Can I tell you that a relationship that you have with, with God is, is something that ought to be uniquely intimate to you and God? Now, there are common features. It always is based upon the Word of God. It's always based upon certain habits like prayer and, and being involved in a local church. The Bible clearly says that the church is God's program. He loved the church and gave himself for it. And so there are certain things that all of our intimate relationships with God will have. Your presence here tonight as a part of your church family is a testimony of your desire to have an intimate relationship with God. That's a good thing. But can I tell you, the ingredient of mixing this all up to have a great family for God starts with this personal relationship, salvation, and then that ongoing, growing relationship once you've trusted Him as Savior. Do you know God? Now, lest you sort of glibly say, yeah, I know God. Can I just remind you that knowing God is not something that you accomplish in just one setting or at some point you say, yes, I know God. And here's a good illustration. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Someone turn there, please. And, and just as you get it, be quick to read it for me. Philippians 3.10, if you can, please. Someone find it and just uh, read it real loudly for all the rest of us. Someone be willing to do that for me? Philippians 3.10. Do I have any takers? Someone be willing to do? Flip, got it right here? Okay, just read it really loudly for all of us. Paul speaks in Philippians 3.10 at a time when he's on the threshold of dying. I mean, he's not there yet. It's going to be a, not long in the sense it's a few years before. But my point is it's at the end of his life. It's long after his missionary journeys. He's sitting in a jail cell. He's you know studied the word of God all his life because he did it as a Pharisee before he became a, a convert in Acts 9. And so here's this guy who has all kinds of information about God. But he comes to this point in his life, not out of some martyrish spirit or some kind of a doubt of salvation experience, but he says very openly, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. So tonight, can I just tell you, to have a family like you want to have, the ingredients start with this first one, 
Ingredient number one, it's a personal relationship with God. God said of Abraham in, in this passage, for I know him. First ingredient, a personal relationship with God. Why don't you all say that with me? First ingredient is what? A personal relationship with God. As you've trusted Him as Savior, that's the beginning. But as you continue to grow in Him, to know Him more intimately, that's the first ingredient if you're going to mix this up and have a wonderful family like God describes. Second ingredient. Look at verse 19. For I know Him personal relationship with God, that he will command his children and his household after him. Second ingredient, a persistent relationship. A persistent relationship with God's heritage. A persistent relationship with God's heritage. As you take now this ingredient and you put it into the mixture of the makings of this family, I want you to note what's described here. You first see that it's something that he was going to insist on. This is not an option. This is not a suggestion. This is something that was going to happen no matter what. He says of Abraham that he will command his children and his household after him. God could say about Abraham, because he had this wonderful personal relationship with God, that he was going to have a persistence of relationship with the heritage that God gave to him. You know, the Bible says that children are an heritage from the Lord. They're an investment. A family is an opportunity for us to jointly take out an account with God and invest it for eternity. And the persistent relationship that Abraham was known for was that he was going to insist that his family do what God wanted him to do. Now, again, I'm the ignorant itinerant who doesn't know you personally. So this is no insult to anybody, nor is it an accusation to anybody, but it's an unashamed conviction, and that is this. In the world in which we live, our culture has sort of guided us to think that we should come to a point where we sort of just abandon our oversight or engagement with our families. Now, I'm sure that's not true of these families tonight. It's the other families, okay? Thank you for catching that. You know. No, we all like to think it's somebody else. But the truth is, here, here, and, 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 and young people, let me just tell you, I love young people to death. I've given my life to it. I thank God for the privilege to serve at Appalachian Bible College with young people. But can I tell you this? Listen to me carefully. The world you live in suggests that when you come to a certain age, and it's not you know, like 25 or 30, but you know, probably about you know, maybe 15 when you get your learner's permit. You're about ready to leave the requirement to have any accountability to your parents. By the time you have your license, you can certainly go any place you want now because you have a car. And so certainly you have now just foregone any opportunity to ever have your parents ever tell you what to do again. Now, I know that that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, in the culture in which we live, that's the way our world guides us to think. And by the time they graduate from high school, for sure, they are now totally independent. We can't tell them anything to do as parents. Now, hear me carefully, gang. I love you to death. But can I tell you, that's not the way the Bible describes the makings of a family. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't graduated privileges or that there aren't release techniques that we should be doing as we find our lives maturing and growing. I believe that that's biblical. 
But you know what God could say about Abraham? Abraham was going to insist that his heritage followed him. And so persistent relationship that's evidenced by the way they insisted. But then he, he wasn't going to also not only be insistent, but he was going to be inclusive at it. Look at verse 19. He shall command, that's the insistent side, his children and his household after him. Not only was it going to be an insistent testimony of persistence, but it was going to be an inclusive. Everybody was going to be included. Now, sometimes, I, I remember years ago uh, having a conversation as I was a youth pastor with someone who said, do you think you should sort of figure a percentage of success as a parent? And it took me a while to figure out what he meant, but he then went on to say, you know, and he was saying he didn't think you should in behalf of this person who came asking that question. But you know what? I don't think we should say, well, most of the time or most of the family. No, and, and I'm not suggesting that Abraham never had any following that failed because he did have. But God could say of him, I know Abraham. You know, and, and we're not going to get into this study during our time, but you know, Abraham had a son named Isaac. You know, one of the greatest testimonies that he had properly groomed Isaac to follow God is found in chapter 22 of Genesis, which you know that passage well, where he takes and he offers Isaac on a sacrifice. Remember the story. And here is Isaac, probably in his early 20s. Did you hear me? In his early 20s. When he is now following his father, very sort of, you know, boyish like, Daddy, where are we going? We're going to go do a sacrifice. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, I, we've done those before. Uh, Daddy, where is the animal? I see the wood and the fire, but uh, God will take care. Oh, okay, God. And you get up to the top of the mountain. Uh, Daddy, where, where, where is the altar? Uh, we're going to make it. Okay, so they make it. And, you know, you figure this is a, a pile of stones big enough to put a 20-some-year-old kid on top of. So this is no little pile of stones, okay? So a big pile of stones for an altar. And we get done. And, and then, of all things... The father has the audacity to take that son and bind him. Now, hear me carefully. Here's a young man who could have decked his dad if he'd wanted to, physically. He certainly could have outrun him. But he didn't. And he allows himself to be tied. And you don't tie people up because you just think, oh, this is cute. He tied him. Put him on that altar. And he's been to plenty of sacrifices. He knew what happens on altars. This was not a new experience for Isaac or Abraham. And he draws the knife. And I promise you, he'd seen plenty of sacrifices slain. And as he raises that knife above his son, that son who is a, a young adult on that altar, shows that he truly had a trust in God that he learned from a father that defies anything I could ever imagine as a father. Do you think that God was right when he says, I know him, that he will command his children after him? You better believe it, folks. It was an insistent testimony of a persistent relationship. It was an inclusive it wasn't just for Abraham. It was for the whole family. But then would you note, it was an instructive 
illustration of that persistent relationship. Look at it. Verse 19 says, He will command, that's the insistence of this, His children and His household, that's the inclusiveness of this, after Him. That's the instruction. That's the instruction of this persistent relationship. You know, after Him is sort of a little phrase in the Bible. But do you know what that's really saying? Be just like me. Again, remember, I'm the ignorant itinerant. So I don't know if I am, you know, misrepresenting any of your roles in your family makings. But could you say to your children as parents, look, you'll be just like me and you'll be fine for God. Wow. After me. After me. You see, when, when you follow after somebody, one of my privileges in travel is to have to follow directions all the time. Right now it's a little easier because we have a GPS in our car. But even that does not always work. How many of you have a GPS? Do you have a name for it? We have a name for ours. Ours is Cynthia. Happens to be a feminine voice. And so we call our GPS Cynthia. And I will tell you, it wasn't my naming. It was my wife's naming. Did you not name that thing Cynthia? Oh, she asked me to tell why. I'm glad you asked me, dear. I'd love to tell them why. You see, uh, several years ago, we had the privilege to uh, take a trip to England for a few weeks. And in the course of our time there, we spent a week in London just visiting around. But then we rented a car and proceeded to do some touring for a couple of weeks around England. And for starters, you're driving on the wrong side of the road, or to English people, the right side of the road. But at any rate, you're driving the wrong side of the road. And, and as we're driving down the road in this vehicle that we had just gotten, all of a sudden we, you know, you know sort of watching carefully to make sure we're doing this right. My wife has a map, and, and I'm trying to make sure that I remember my reflexes since I'm going differently than I'm supposed to on the wrong side of the road. And, and uh, all of a sudden we hear this sound, approaching 821. And my wife looked at me, and I looked at her, and we thought maybe the radio was on. And so I reached down to turn the radio button off. I mean, this is, this is years ago before GPS are common. I mean, now, these days it wouldn't be a big deal. You'd understand what was that. But it didn't have a map or anything like that you looked at. It was just a voice approaching A21. And, and so I said, well, maybe the radio's on. So I flipped down to turn the radio, and, and I didn't feel like it shut off, but, you know, no more sound came out. And so we drive a little further, and all of a sudden, approaching A22. And you have to understand, it wasn't a voice like mine. It was, approaching 821, approaching 822. And all of a sudden, we realized that we had a vehicle that had a GPS system in it that wasn't so much so it could help us as, as drivers of it. It was primarily to keep track of it for the people who rented it to us. So they could always know where we were, so that we didn't slip this thing out of the country inappropriately or whatever. I mean, that was, that was the real purpose in those days, to have that kind of a tracking system. But it had occasions where it would speak out to you. And because it was in a feminine voice, my wife said, Now this is pretty good. You take me for three weeks to England for a vacation and you bring a girlfriend along. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. So we had jokes about it in those days. and she, So we proceeded at that time to call this thing because my, one of my, not, I mean, excuse me, my, my first girlfriend 
that she says that I knew. Now, my, my first girlfriend's name was Cynthia. Now, you have to understand, it wasn't a girlfriend to me. It was a, this is not defensive. Is it, does it sound defensive, dear? It sounds defensive. Forget it anyway. So she now calls this other, you know, you know, voice in our car, Cynthia. And she loves it. When she's looking at the map, my wife is looking at the map. And Cynthia says, go wherever. And my wife says, you don't want to do what that says. And so I have this choice. Do I listen to the GPS, Cynthia? Or do I listen to my wife with the map before her? You want to guess where I always go? <laughs> Not with Cynthia. <laughs> and truthfully, uh, we've had several occasions where Cynthia, in fact, is we even had a recent occasion where MapQuest that we had done on one occasion literally gave us the wrong direction to turn. We were on our handbell choir week before last, and my wife had mapped out all these different places as the director of the group was where we were supposed to go. And we came up to an intersection, and I knew we were supposed to turn west on this particular road because we were moving westward. And the map quest said, go east. And I said, that's not right. I'm not going east. So I went beyond it and didn't go either direction. And I've got another vehicle behind me with a trailer, and they, they wonder what's happening as I get up to the you know, next intersection, and I just make a U-turn, and it's pretty tough to make a U-turn with a van and a trailer, but, they, you know, they did it, and, and we go back by it again, and, and I said, honey, why is this? And she's looking real fast at the map and trying to figure it out, so we go by the intersection, we make another U-turn, come back, and finally, after two or three U-turns, I said, what we need is a roundabout in England, so we can just keep going around and around and around until you figure out where you want to get off, you know, and if you've ever been to the roundabouts. But the truth is, you know, uh, here, here are directions. Can you say... Come after me. That's what we're looking at in this passage. And know that the person that comes after you is going to be going in the right place. That's a pretty sobering thing, isn't it? You say, well, that's not possible for a human to say. Only Jesus could say that. May I just remind you that Paul said this. Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. We ought to live. Hear me carefully. We ought to live in such a way that we could say to any person, you follow me and you'll be going the right direction. Wow. That's persistent relationship. Built upon the insistence that everyone does it, on the inclusion that it's everyone, and on the instruction that says, you just come along after me. After me. And you'll be just fine. That's ingredient number two that we stir into this to make family what it's supposed to be. Ingredient number one was what? Tell me. Personal relationship with God. Number two is a persistent relationship with God's heritage. Say it with me. A persistent relationship with God's heritage. What God gives to you, your life and the lives of those around you that you influence, you persist that they're going to be what God wants them to be. That's what makes a family what it ought to be. A personal relationship with God. A persistent relationship with God's heritage. But there's a third ingredient as we make something that's going to taste as good and better than what Chloe made. Look at number 3. Verse 19 says, For I know him, personal relationship, that he'll command his children, persistent relationship, and then go on. Says that they shall, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. They shall keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. Number three ingredient, a practiced relationship. A practiced relationship with God's word. 
Say it with me. A practiced relationship with God's Word. There are two evidences of this practice that you see in this passage. First is in the fact that we defend it. It says here in this passage that they will keep the way of the Lord. You know, keeping there has the idea of obedience, but it also has this idea of defending. This is Memorial Day weekend when we remember those who have defended our freedom and that do defend our freedom. And thank God for you as military persons who have done that. Can I tell you, God wants us to have a heart that is just like a military defender of freedom. Only it's a greater defense. It's called the defense of the truth of God's word. Are you willing to stand up for the word of God? If someone at the job makes light of something that you know biblically is wrong, in the midst of our world that describes things such that you can't believe them anymore, we call it the postmodern period. And don't worry about that term. All, All that means basically is this, that we live in a world that no longer thinks that you can believe anything is for sure. Can I tell you? We have a book called the Bible that is for sure. I hope you don't have any doubt about that. If you do, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just think we need to, with defense, be willing to do that. Young people at school, do you have the courage when you get into a classroom situation, when you have a friend or you have a teacher, and, and with all due respect and all proper response, to say, no, I believe the Bible is true. You know, do you believe that it's always wrong to steal? Do you believe that it's always wrong to lie? Do you believe that it's always wrong? And and can I just tell you, we live in a world that doesn't have those kinds of of absolutes. But we need to defend. Not because the Bible's going to fail, because the truth is, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. So it's not because this is going to fail, but it's because God has commanded us to earnestly contend for the faith, to defend it, to have the courage to stand up for it. Do you have that kind of boldness? You see, a family that has that kind of practiced relationship with the Word of God, where you truly are defending it, they will keep it. It's the idea of guarding it. So nobody else will ever step on it or run over it, somehow dispose of it. Now, I'm going to defend it. But then not only do they practice it by defending it, they practice it by doing it. Verse 19 says... And they will do righteousness and justice. Do it. Uh, Probably one of my greatest challenges as I walk with the Lord is not knowing what to do. It's doing what I know. Do any of you have that problem? I mean, uh, I don't know how long you've been saved. I don't know how much you've learned about the Bible, but can I tell you? I think that most of us know more of the Bible than we are doing. To have a, a family like it's supposed to be, like God describes here, we not only know it, but we do it. Do it. James one twenty two. Someone want to find that for me, please? And... and Read it for me. I'd love to have someone help me out. James one twenty two. You probably know it already. Yeah. Okay. Pastor Billy, say it for us. Uh, that's a good verse, but that's not the one. Yeah. That's no. That's that's, that's a great verse, and it fits the passage or the principle that I'm giving here. So thank you for sharing that. But James one twenty two. Someone find it for me, please. And could you give it real loudly for me? 
You probably know it, you just don't remember the reference. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, God wants us to be doers of the word. And so, a good family is going to have a dose mixed into it that is practicing a relationship with the Word of God. Third ingredient, say it with me. A practiced relationship with the Word of God. Let's go back and get our three ingredients to make sure this family gets made up like it's supposed to. The recipe says, first put in this amount. It's called a personal relationship with God. Then you put in, secondly, a persistent relationship with God's heritage. Okay? All of us as people are part of His heritage. Okay? Number three ingredient. Put into this mix a practiced relationship with God's Word. But now we have number four ingredient as we make this family like God describes here. It says here, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which He has spoken of him. Here's the fourth ingredient. It's a promised relationship. A promised relationship with God's plan. A promised relationship with God's plan. You see, when you mix up a family with these ingredients, God says one of the ingredients is, I promise you, I promise you something that God may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, it doesn't tell us in this passage, but it really was a whole bunch of promises. I promise to make you a great nation. Uh, did God keep that promise? What group of people has suffered as much as the Jewish people in an attempt to destroy them? We have all kinds of civilizations that have had greater opportunity of significance and are no longer in existence. Whether it's an Assyrian Empire or a Babylonian Empire or a Roman Empire, any number of existences are no longer around. But guess what? God promised to Abraham that his seed would last forever. And there is a, con a continuum of that heritage, even in the face of a holocaust in the face of a you know a Middle East crisis. And I promise you, I'm not here tonight to speak about Israel as a nation, but I'm telling you this much, God promised something and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Can I tell you, this book has lots of other promises that it makes to us as God's children. And it's going to happen. He's promised I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's going to happen. He's promised, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory. It's going to happen. He promised, if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. It's going to happen. He promised. And it'll happen. Tonight, can I tell you, a family that has the makings that God describes has this wonderful ingredient to it. It's a promised relationship with God's plan. I wonder, are you concerned about making sure that your life is in keeping with God's plan? As you could well understand, being in a setting of ministry where my wife and I have found ourselves these last 30 years, it's been our privilege to interact with folk like your pastors. 
and to see them come along in the development of the plan of God for their lives. And it's a wonderful blessing to see how that's fulfilled through their lives. But can I also tell you, through these years, and please know that I don't say this lightly, but there are enough of them, so you don't know who I'm talking about right at this moment, but there are some of those that through the course of those years have, have sort of you know, wavered and, and turned their backs sometimes very boldly on God's best and plan for them. And you look with heartache for the fact that they have not experienced all that God wanted them to because they failed to follow His plan. You see, the will of God is really not as complicated as we've made it, folk. Listen to me carefully. The will of God ultimately is this, a personal relationship with God, a persistent relationship with God's heritage, a practiced relationship with God's Word, and I promise you, you'll know His will and plan. It really is pretty simple. It's knowing Him with such intimacy that you will know exactly what His design and desires are. One of my favorite illustrations I have shared on occasion, maybe in the audience some of you have heard this. It's been a long time since I had the privilege to share it when my object of illustration was present, my, my sweetheart. I remember when we were first married, I was ecstatic one Saturday as we were cleaning our 12 by 60 mobile home in Elkhart, Indiana. She taught school through the week and I went to seminary and was pastoring and involved in pastoring a church and, and uh, as a youth pastor in those days. And uh, so Saturdays became an opportunity for us to sort of spend some time together doing some stuff together when we didn't have youth activities to manage. So we were cleaning our mobile home that day. And in the process, we got closer to the lunchtime, and I thought I'd be this wonderful husband and offer to make lunch for us while she was finishing a particular cleaning project in our trailer that she was working on. I don't remember what it was. And so she agreed to let me do it. Now, you have to understand, I just experienced a whole year feeding myself as a, as a, you know, a, 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 a bachelor to get married. Okay, I was you know, already committed to getting married in a year's time, but I was having to live this one year, my first year in seminary, I lived by myself in an apartment having to prepare my own meals and care for myself during that year. And so I survived. And I learned how to fix some things. And so I felt quite confident going to the kitchen on this Saturday because she'd planned for us to have some sandwiches and chips, you know, and I figured I could handle that. So I went to the kitchen, proceeded to, you know, put the stuff together at the meat, the cheese, the, you know, the sandwich material. And, 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 and our little trailer, you have to understand 12 by 60s, you understand what they're like, you know. And so instead of eating in the kitchen at the dining room table, we sat at the living room, you know, couch with the little coffee table in front of us. And I, I just very proudly set these plates down in front of us. And, and we prayed and thanked God for our food. And, and she proceeded to pick up the sandwich and, and took a bite out of it. And I was just so proud that I'd fix this lunch for her and and, and she took one bite of it, and I'll never forget, the first response was, yuck. <laughs> now, she's a, she's a wonderful person who's encouraging to me, but I, uh, what can you do to a, two slices of bread, you know, tomatoes and lettuce and, you know, meat and cheese and, and condiments? What can you do to that that makes you say yuck? But you know what you can do? You can glob the mayonnaise in one spot on the bread so that when you get a bite of it, you get too much mayonnaise. You see, in my haste of making my lunches for that year as a bachelor, you know, 
I just threw the stuff together because I knew it was all going to the same place, and most of the time I was in a hurry, so I'd, you know, whether I got too much of the, this or that. Did, but you know what? I learned that day something about her. Even though he had, we had you know, been married now for a few weeks, and we had dated and been you know, engaged for you know, the five-year period from our dating time to the time we got married, I learned on that day she wanted the mayonnaise spread equally all over the bread. Do you know I've made dozens of sandwiches for her since then? And she's never once said yuck. You know why? Because I always spread the mayonnaise out over the whole slice of bread. Or the mustard, whatever it is. My point is this. When you know a person... You don't have to wonder what the will of God is about, you know, or what their will is about a sandwich. I don't know what, you know, the will of Rosalie for a sandwich is spread the mayonnaise out. I don't have to keep asking her that. Do you know what? Hear me carefully. When you know God and he has told you in his word what he wants, you don't have to keep saying, well, God, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? Because you're intimate personal relationship will help you to know what he wants, what his plan is. Make sense? Knowing him. Tonight, I'd like you to take the four ingredients that we've talked about. Let's review them one more time. We need to put in first in this little batch that we're making. Number one is a personal relationship with God. Number two, we need to put in a persistent relationship with God's heritage. Number three, we need to add practice relationship with God's Word. And finally, we have a dose of a promised relationship with God's plan. We didn't say the last one by itself, so let's do it right now. A, a promised relationship with God's plan. Now, when you put all those ingredients together and you stir it up, can I tell you something? Just like when Chloe took that stuff and put it all together... And was it a mm, good piece of pie? Can I tell you, when you take God's Word and you add those four ingredients, the makings of a family, mm-mm good. Mm-mm good. Do you have a personal relationship with God? If you don't, your family can't be what it should be. Do you have a persistent relationship are you committed to having your life and every life that you encounter by way of the families, your personal family, other families? Are you persistent in that relationship to God's heritage? Are you practicing a relationship with God's Word? Defending it and doing it. Number four. Do you have an understanding of the promised relationship that God has in His plan for you? If you had the first three, remember we said the fourth one will be easily understood. When you stir that all up, can I tell you? We could read that verse and instead of saying it this way, would you just note a little different way of reading this tonight? I want to just close by reading it this way. For I know her or I know him, and move on down through it, that the Lord may bring upon, and put your name in there instead of Abraham's, may bring upon Billy, may bring upon Pastor Van, 
May bring upon Steve. Those are a few names I know that I've picked up on. May bring upon. You see, God wants your name to be in that verse with the recipe for the makings of a family. Would you just take those ingredients tonight and say, Lord, I want to just put them all together and I want to let you stir up my life and let me be all that you want me to be because I promise you something good's going to come out of it. Something real good's going to come out of it. My life verse is Psalm 84, 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Can I invite you tonight to stir up a family? The makings of a family. But make sure you have the right ingredients. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and thank you for the illustration of Abraham and the testimony of this really longest standing family tree in the forest of civilization. As we span the centuries of time, as we look across all of the the establishment of different family trees through history, this one stands longer and taller and more faithful than any tree in the forest of humanity. We thank you for this illustration tonight from your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll just bless every person in this gathering tonight. You know what kind of family they are part of earthly-wise. You know what kind of influence they have upon others. And so whether it's a young person who yet before them has the opportunity to have their own home or whether it's the single person who's in adulthood and that's their will of God plan, whether it's the active participating family now with young children, whether it's that home with a house full of teenagers or whether it's that empty nest setting or it's that senior saint who's lost a mate and now faces life alone as a senior old person. Lord, no matter what status of life we're in as a family, we thank you that this recipe, these ingredients are guaranteed to bring about a wonderful dish called God's family. Help us to use it carefully, to follow the recipe diligently, and to know your blessings abundantly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.